Hello and welcome to the Niche Podcast for Friday, July 19th, 2013. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Kelly Shaver. And we're here to talk about building apps that run everywhere. This week, we talk about function hoisting in Firefox, a fun new side project we're working on, and collapsing space with smartphone cameras. Please stay tuned. The Niche Podcast is next. If that wasn't a good teaser, I don't know uh, what collapsing was. Collapsing space, yeah, that's cool. <laughs> we, we've broken the, the, the folding space. We're just going to travel through time next. Yeah, wormholes, baby. Yeah, I get to travel through time soon. <laughs> time zones. Yeah, I'm going back two time zones. It's... Wow. Hopefully you don't cross paths with yourself and create a paradox. I hope <laughs> <laughs> so, wow, what's going on there? Uh, just rushing to get everything done before I leave. Woot. Vacation. Yes, vacation. Very exciting. Well, we are, uh, suffering through the dog days of summer pretty early this, this summer. It's like ridiculously hot here. It's so hot here. It's like 86 degrees in my office. (laughs) Air conditioner can't keep up. Yeah. Yeah. Same here. It's ridiculous. I protest. There ought to be a law. Yeah, it just makes makes the trip to Canada seem even more appealing. <laughs> exactly, Erica actually said last night she's like, you know, she's like seven months pregnant. Oh my goodness! Yeah, she's like, um, let's get on a plane to someplace cold. Yeah, <laughs> I can imagine. Yeah, I'm sure our air conditioning bill is going to be five hundred bucks this month. <laughs> So we have some interesting topics to talk about this week, um, but first, I don't think we have any housekeeping. There's not going to be, uh, there shouldn't be any schedule interruption on the podcast no, from the vacation. There, should, so. there shouldn't be. I'll be here. I'll be here next Wednesday. Mm-hmm. That's, that's that's the day before I leave, and then I'll. You know, we can do we can do one while I'm do one while I'm gone. It's no problem. Awesome, very good. Um, and the. Uh, I guess the next thing is a bug report. I have this quick bug report uh, that's related to that function hoisting. Um, if, in case the dear listener doesn't know what function hoisting is, uh, I'll try and explain it. Um, it's basically when you define a function in JavaScript using the function actual function keyword as opposed to assigning a function to a variable, mm-hmm. the browser kind of like goes through like pre-processes all your code it goes through and it says okay these are all the functions in this javascript file uh and we know about them and i'm sure that's not exactly how it works but um, the net result is that you can put functions really anywhere in uh, your javascript if you define them as true functions named functions and call them from anywhere and and in fact i tend to put my functions at the end of a document and do like all my sort of uh calls to them at the beginning yeah so so it's like up the top when you're reading the code you're kind of reading the lot the business logic of the application and uh if you really care about drilling into what a given function does you can go down to the bottom and and research research it right right so uh, a couple of weeks ago i was um uh delivered a project to somebody and before Right before I delivered it, one of the last things I did was um, I went in and I put in a bunch of try-catch blocks because 
we had been doing some testing. Well, so the, the, the application was written to be very progressively enhanced. So, so that even without JavaScript, the application totally worked. Uh, and then it sort of like got nicer if you had certain features like query selector all or yada, yada, yada. So I, I, I was testing in Chrome and some other desktop browsers and I was like, well, you know, I'm not going, I don't want to feature sniff like crazy. And if, if any of these things don't work, it doesn't really matter, but I don't want it to break the JavaScript because certain things might not work and other things might. So Right, just put a try catch in there, right, and, so, and not have to worry about it. Exactly. Uh, so I shipped it off to the customer, and they were like, um, you know, I started getting all these bug reports that uh, stuff was broken in Firefox, and not working in Firefox. And I was like, that's weird. Firefox is usually really. I, I expected it to break in yeah. certain places, but not Firefox. Right. Right. So. Um, uh, and it was funny, too, because I had one of those, uh, I, I think I know what it is. And I went in, and it totally wasn't the thing I initially thought it was. I'm scratching my head like, what the heck's going on here? I Google around, didn't even know what I was looking for. But it was, the the error I was getting was that a, a function was not defined. And, of course, I'm looking at it, I'm like, it's defined right there. What's wrong with you, Firefox? Yeah. And, and I had tested it in Firefox previously, and it worked. So I was really stumped. Okay. So I finally found um, a a blog post. I'll link to it in the show notes that functions defined inside of a block, including a try block, do not mm-hmm. hoist in Firefox. Uh, and in fact, that is consistent with the spec, but only Firefox actually implemented it that way. Yeah. Uh, and I was like, wow, I can't imagine how much... I mean, it's the going in and putting those try blocks in is not something I normally do. So I don't think I have a bunch of projects out there that have been forever broken in Firefox because of my <laughs> normal style of putting functions yeah. at the end. But uh, that really caught me by surprise. See, this is this is where back when I when I first started getting heavy into JavaScript, I was using Firefox. So I've probably just been doing it according to the spec the whole time. It just never occurred to me to, to do it differently. Yeah. Well, it does work if you don't have the function to find in the blocks. Block. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It has to do with the way, uh, like the way JavaScript like, scopes everything. Hmm. Yeah. And I, when I read the article, it's sort of the reasoning behind it makes sense. I just couldn't believe I'd never heard of that before. It was like, it yeah. felt like a pretty stupid newbie mistake, but, uh, it was easy to fix, but, um, you know, it's definitely something to watch out for. Yeah, I think um, a lot of a lot of JavaScript is it's it's either so simple that it doesn't doesn't really need something like a try catch block, or you're either going to use it or you're not going to use it. So you know, you're either either using the 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 feature or the browser doesn't support it, so you're not using it at all. So right. No, unless you're getting into like a, a big framework or a big library or something, I think probably the the average JavaScript that the the average website uses is not going to be, yeah, you know, it's like jQuery manipulating the DOM and, and things like that. Yeah, so. iterating over arrays and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, it was. I can't remember specifically what bits of code it was. There was something. Uh, probably had to do with touch support or something like that. And rather than rather than checking for it, I was just try catching it. So you didn't have yeah. to really didn't have like all this crazy conditional logic. It was just like whatever. If it doesn't work, then just keep going. Yeah. 
So I thought that was a fun thing to report. I haven't had a bug report in yeah, a while. Yeah, that's interesting. No, we haven't. I've had several bugs, but it's all <laughs> extremely specific or extremely stupid. <laughs> yeah, they always are, right? So let's see. Um, yeah, you want to? So let's segue into the collapsing space thing. So, so okay. you're about to go on vacation to a very scenic area. I am, yes. And you can relate to not having great long-range vision. Yes, very much. Yeah, and I was thinking about it, and I was like, I, I was, I don't know if I was actually imagining you standing on the rim of a mountain, looking off into the distance <laughs> with your taking pictures. I was like, that's, you know, that's fully what I intend to do. Yes, yeah, like take lots of pictures type of thing. And I'm like, oh, when you think about it, it should work that you could be standing on the edge of like the Grand Canyon, say, and and be very nearsighted. Uh, and and hold up your phone to take a picture and clearly see on the phone, which is close to your face, mountains that are miles away. Yes, and in fact, I do that. For instance, like if I'm if I'm out and walking walking down the street and I need to read a sign that's off in the distance or something and I can't see it, then I'll I'll pull out the pull out the camera and zoom in on on the thing I need to see. That is hilarious. I've, like I've got a I've got a monocular around here somewhere, but it's so easy to just like pull the phone out of your pocket and like you don't look like an idiot. You just look like you're taking a picture. Yeah, exactly. See, I think I can't believe there aren't more. I, I can't believe you don't see more. Pe- like, I mean, maybe people do that all the time, and I didn't realize. But I can't believe there's not like a dedicated device that does this for nearsighted people. Yeah, well, there are, there are some. Like I sent you a link to one on Skype, and we can link to them in the show notes. Notes. Um, a company called Ocutech mm-hmm. makes some glasses that have, um, you know, they'll they'll have like a like basically it's a miniature telescope mounted to the top that you use, or and some of them autofocus and stuff. But the the technology they use has nowhere near caught up to like even the most basic smartphone camera. Like yeah. this stuff is huge. Yeah, and this yeah, it's like prohibitively large. You mentioned and yeah, it, and it's like, and it seems like a cam- like a, a cell phone camera is so cheap. It seems like you could just mount a little screen. You know, obviously, we're like we're going with this. Like, well, could Google Glass actually be like prescription the replacement for prescription yeah. glasses? And probably not because it's not the screen's not positioned in the right place. You know, you'd constantly be looking up to the right to drive down the road or something. Yeah. <laughs> But you can easily imagine a solution that that gave somebody with like not great long distance vision like uh, a heads up display of what's in front of them, like Geordie style. Right. right. Yeah, and and in fact, even even something Google Glass, even something that's positioned off slightly off center of your vision. I mean, we're not talking about magnifying an entire visual field. If you like, for instance, if you need to look at it, like one of the things that bugs me is like if you go in a restaurant and they have the menus mounted on the wall behind the counter. Mm-hmm. I can't see them at all. Yeah. So, I mean, even if you just had something like that, you, you, if you're, you don't need, like, something small in the corner of your field of vision is fine if you're just, like, glancing, need to glance off and, like, read small things in the distance. and. Right. Well, so, and that's, the, that's where, I, like, I'm fascinated by this idea because unlike prescription glasses, which I used to wear, I, I used to be very nearsighted, and uh, it, it's not, this is not a solution that, cares what your eyesight is right as long as you're just as long as you're nearsighted basically it this you're not 
you're not coming up with a solution to refocus your eyes on objects in the distance. You're bringing the objects in the distance closer to your eyes. Right. Yeah. And the, of course, the main problem with doing that is the the more you zoom in, the more narrow the visual field gets. But sure, and you lose all depth yeah. of field. So well, I don't have depth of field anyway. So yeah. So there you go. I mean, it wouldn't be great for driving or something. But, but no, I no. love the use case that you just pointed out, which is like reading the signs behind the counter. That's like that's perfect. I don't know. There's something about this that really is really really interesting. Yeah. See, I Google Glass interests me. Uh, as an accessibility device for a lot of reasons because in addition to that um, like I could see it I could see Google Google Glass cameras and, and what have you basically functioning like uh, like a seeing eye dog mm-hmm. pretty much mm-hmm. like oh you know there's traffic don't cross or there's a curb ahead yada yada yep. and you know granted a device like that wouldn't necessarily have to be a pair of glasses because it's not providing you with visual feedback but Glass seems like it's so so easy, you know, so easy and compact and, and just simple to wear. Mm. It seems like it would be a good candidate for for something like that. Yeah, I I'm so excited about all this new stuff, all the new wearable stuff. I think it's going to be, first of all, I think it's going to catch on in a bunch of different forms. So like as much f- fragmentation as we see in the smartphone space, and I think that uh, I think that we're going to get like that time that again you know, watches and glasses yeah. and everything else. Your, like your, your, your Amazon belt buckle and your Google glasses. Yeah. Yeah. The personal cloud. <laughs> it's like, uh, I just ordered, um, an Android, basically a pebble, uh, style watch for Android. It's called uh, mm-hmm. meta watch. I don't even remember who makes it. I think it might be, is it Sony? I don't know. I don't even know. Um, but uh, it does, it, in the main reason, main use case that I want it for, and I don't wear a watch and I don't really want to wear a watch, but um, lately for some reason, in the last maybe six months or so, I've been missing vibration notifications on my phone. You know what it is? It's because mm. it's, it's hot out and I've been wearing shorts, which are kind of baggy. Oh, yeah. yeah. And it, like I've got the phone in my pocket and, you know, and what happens? You get in trouble because Erica texts you and you don't get back to her immediately. Because the shorts were loose and you didn't feel it vibrate. Yeah, so I blame my shorts, and that just doesn't cut it. Doesn't cut it when your wife's seven months pregnant and it's nine hundred <laughs> degrees, and she's texting you to bring home ice cream Put or anything on else. Tighter shorts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so I love the idea of um, of having the vibration notification right in your wrist, and also there's a the uh, application that you install on your phone to communicate with the watch is. Mm-hmm. Um, by default meant to be hackable so you can configure it however you want and i'm really hoping that it'll allow me to send different kinds of vibration notifications to my wrist for different things so i don't even have yeah. to look at the watch and i'll just know things yeah because right now i don't just know things i oh, speaking of just knowing things in google oh my god mm. <laughs> oh yeah do you want to talk about that yeah that was <laughs> It's like it's almost scary. It is scary. All right, now we have to talk about it now. Now I have to talk about it. Uh, I had set up a Gmail account for Kira, and Kira is, as you know, eleven. Right. So I was technically in violation of Google's terms of service there. Mm-hmm. But it was it was through my Google Apps account, and I'd set it up through Gmail through my Google Apps account intentionally so that I could monitor it well and set up filters and, and all of that good stuff. Because she's 11, obviously, I want to supervise it. Right. 
And Google somehow figured out that she is not 13. Isn't that crazy? It is crazy. I have no idea how. Yeah. And they terminated the account. <sighs> that I've been thinking about this a little bit and I, I, I you know, is it, I can't figure it out. Like, like, do they have some kind of algorithm like, oh, she's a member of some group that obviously is under 13? Like, I can't, I can't figure it out because You'll her friends, kids, yeah. at first I was like, maybe she's been chatting, using it to G-Talk or something, or I am with friends who are yeah, but under I know 13. All of, yeah, I know all of the friends who are on her list, and I mean, they're all friends from school and stuff like that. And which I granted they are under thirteen, but they shouldn't have accounts. How do they? How do they have? Again, it would yeah. Again, it was the same type of thing. Right. Like if everybody's lying and saying they're thirteen, how how could Google be using that as a signal that yeah she must be eleven? Yeah. So then I'm like, well, does it somehow like I'm trying to think of all the things Google offers. Is it like does it like oh well she's watching all these videos that only an eleven year old would watch on YouTube, so she must be Yeah, or like are they are they reading my email and seeing her name come up in discussions or maybe they're listening to the podcast right now. Maybe. <laughs> I Google. Maybe the NSA got in touch with them and said, Hey guys. Hey, this kid's eleven. <laughs> FYI. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's mind boggling. It is. It's it's creepy. Yeah. They um yeah. They, they, Google does freak me out sometimes with their, their prescience, if that's a word. Yeah. Between, um, between detecting Kira's age and your lawn care center directions. Yeah. That's exactly what I was thinking. I've still never yeah. figured that out. Yeah. It's, it's, um, you know, it's in the whole thing. I guess the whole reason Google has the 13 year old age limit is because of the, the COPA stuff mm -hmm. which never really annoyed me before but now it annoys me like mm. it should not be up to the government to dictate how i supervise my child's online activity yeah no kidding <laughs> and i didn't think it was any big deal and then i realized she's only 11 but as soon as they terminated that account i'm like oh i use that email address for everything hmm. she's got she's got like all of her games she plays her apple id and all that stuff hmm. Like they're already all going through that. Like she's got a Tumblr. So you can't even you can't even access the inbox anymore. Um, I can't get to the stuff that's currently in the inbox now, and I can't even like I can't I can't get to it at all. What I did, I ended up transferring the domain away from Google Apps, and I've got it set up um, through another web host. Yeah. So so I don't have to change the email address for for everything. God, that's so annoying. So well, I mean, you're lucky. Well, so. What is that? But that, but the the mail is still on Google's server, so you can't. But she can do like password resets now because she can still get email at that address. Right, right. She can Man. still get email at that address. It's just on a different. Um, it's actually set up at a a web host. Good thing it was an apps account and not a regular Gmail account. Yeah. So that's yeah. I do. I would if if that happened to me or when it does happen to me when Cooper is old enough to start doing that, I'll probably do it. I, I have all my domain names through Hover, which I highly recommend. Yeah. And they have a really simple email, you know, like set up a domain name, bang, here's your email, done. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just I'm just glad that when Google decided to suspend it, they only did her email address and not my whole Google account. Oh, that would that if would they, be If they had suspended my entire Google Apps account, I would have been, yeah. Yeah, SOL. 
yeah. like out of business. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've got, what, what year is it? I've got like t- from 2005 or so. I've never deleted an email. Yeah. I think I've got stuff in there from 2007. Yeah. And I still use it as a database of like old information and like, uh, you know, like what, what was the conversation about this? Or search. Whatever? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, talk about outsourcing your memory to the internet. If I lost access to my, my email, I'd be screwed. Probably ought to back that up. <laughs> I think they have an option, and there's somewhere where you can just go in and download everything. That would be would take a month, but I, I should do it. I think I think I'm going to do that. Do it before you make an ad, make an account for Cooper. <laughs> yeah, it's just crazy. Anyway. Anyway. Yeah, so I thought that that's pretty interesting. I think. Um, shall we move on to our fun new yes. side project? Yes, we shall. Excellent. So I spend a lot of time listening to podcasts and I also save a ton of links with save it later services like readability and more recently Instapaper where I'm going through my feeds. You know, I think this all got sort of cropped up back to the, I've had this idea for a while, but I think it cropped back up because of the Google reader thing getting killed and mm. I switched over to Feedly and, um, and, I don't know. I just uh, more and more I am listening to audio, like podcasts and audiobooks, and uh, I, I listen to them while I'm cleaning up around the house or doing the dishes or whatever. And I really like it. And I tend to burn through content so fast uh, that sometimes I come up with like nothing to really listen to. And I'm like, well, dang! I've got all of these, all of these, uh, you know, piles and piles, like dozens, maybe maybe a hundred links saved in Instapaper that I'll probably never read. Yeah. Um, it would be so cool if I could just listen to those. So looking around, I'm like, there's a couple of different services that, uh, that do sort of text to speech, like, um, something called sound gecko where you can input, uh, um, URLs and it uses a, a pretty sophisticated robot to read them back to you, but it's not, it's not good it's still enough. Robot. Yeah, it's 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 amazing, but it's still not going. You can't listen to it. It's like got that uncanny valley thing going on. Yeah. And then there's another one that's uh, uh, getting a name for itself called Umano, and that one is real live. In fact, professional voice actors doing um, you know doing the exact same thing where they go through and they're basically reading the top tech blog posts and lifestyle blog posts and. Uh, food and you know, et cetera, et cetera, on different topics, but you don't get to choose which ones they read. They just, they, they, right. You can just select from the ones that are there. Right. It's like a curated list and it's really, it's really entertaining. I like it, but that, that doesn't, doesn't solve the problem that I wanted to solve. Then there's another thing called voice bunny. I think it's called or voice rabbit. And, uh, and it does allow you to, you know, send in links to um, like articles or you can post the text of an article and they will um, turn it into a recording that they email back to you. And they have a really fast turnaround. It's like 24 hour turnaround, um, but it's super expensive. So like yeah. uh, just to, just to check, I took one of the articles that um, that I have in my Insta, Insta paper. I keep on wanting to call it Instagram. Insta thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and I pasted it in there and I'm like, oh, well, how much would it cost to get a recording of, of this article? And, and granted, it was maybe a 1500 
Word article, which is a little long compared to an average, say, Verge article or Mashable or something. But it was yeah. like $180. Oh, that's, that's <laughs> very, very, um, very too much. Yeah, it's very too much. And it, it's like, and it doesn't, and even if I paid it, it wouldn't solve the problem, which is that I want it, I don't want the, the recording emailed back to me. I want it to just flow into an RSS feed that I can listen right. to as a podcast. And you don't the, want to have to do anything to get it from. Yeah, yeah, I just want it to like appear in my stream as audio. And it's, the other thing is that um, it's, uh, I, I think the turnaround is unnecessarily fast. Like I, I don't need, it would be fine for me if, if these articles were recorded, you know, a week later or even a month later, because I'm never going to read this stuff. I'm never going to get yeah. around to it. But if I could listen to it, I would get around to it eventually. So long preamble. <laughs> so, uh, we were talking about this, like, how could we do this and came up with an idea called spoken, which, um, allows or the basic concept is the concept is it's kind of like uh, an an audio version of instapaper or one of these read it later services like a listen to it later service yes that starts off with an api of course that basically allows people to submit so let's say you're a listener you want you, you know you're me and you've got all these links you just push them into spoken uh, via the api or integration with instapaper or one of these other services so they pump in there and um, and uh, are basically collated with others. So if, so if there are a bunch of users and everybody submits links to the same page, that turns into one page. So you know, a hundred links to the yeah. same page just really turns into one page. And then that page goes into a queue of people who will then read it. You know, create a recording of them reading it, which then gets submitted into the API as a recording and then all the people who originally submitted the link that that ultimately turned into that recording will end up with that recording in their audio feed at some point in time mm-hmm. so i really dig this idea so so uh, i threw together a page you built the api uh, and i started collecting names for a private beta and there's still room for more people in the private beta so Oh, is there? Because I, I have a friend who may be interested, but I thought the beta was full, so. Yeah, it's, I got uh, a bunch of people in the very first day. I got about 50 people, and then I got about 15 more. And then a couple of people dropped out immediately when they when it wasn't what they expected, or they were like, oh, I'm not going to have enough time for this. So, so there's still room for a fair number of people, and I'd love to get uh, as much input as possible before we have a ton of code written. Okay, yeah, I'll let them know then. Yeah, definitely. So... Um, uh, so then what I did is I set up a Basecamp account with all of those people, a Basecamp project rather, with all the people in it. And we've already started having conversations about um, about like how how could this possibly work? Because the idea is to have it community driven, have it to be right. um, sort of driving principles are, are very Wikipedia-ish where it should be uh, no cost, no frills, no DRM. None of that like BS business model crap. Yeah. I, I just want it to be like a, a thing that that people it, do. Yeah, it's like a, a community driven thing that not unlike conceptually um, or commu- community wise, not unlike Wikipedia, where people are just freely contributing yeah. a little bit of work to get a lot in return. Yeah, yeah. I know we had um, 
I know you had at one point talked about the idea of credits that you earn. You know, you read something and it gives you credits to that you can then use to request links and all that stuff. And right. it might be something to look into later if you need it to like to motivate readers. But mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, so so we've actually started having this conversation in the Basecamp project, and a, uh, a few people immediately said, um, "I would rather have it cost money for two reasons." Yeah, that, that kind of surprised me. Yeah, it, it did surprise me at first, but then their explanation made perfect sense, which is the beauty of having a conversation about this, uh, is that um, the free thing scares people because they assume that, you know, the, 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 the not catchphrase, but the, uh, the conventional wisdom is that if you're not paying for something, then you're the product. Yeah. And I agree with that 100%, so I don't know why I didn't think of it. <laughs> <laughs> And the other thing is, um, this kind of thing will specifically appeal to people who are too busy to read their feeds and therefore also think they're too busy to read any of them. Right. Right. And, you know, it's going to appeal to people who have more money than time, so they'd really just rather pay. And I can totally appreciate that, too. The trick is, you know, how do you, if, if you do that, there's like no, no, I don't think there's a way. I don't know if this is interesting to listen to, but <laughs> maybe it is. Maybe someone, hopefully someone will have a, uh, a, a brilliant idea or another perspective on it. But no matter how you slice it, if you take away the community participation completely, there's no way to make the money work. Yeah. No way. It would get too expensive too quick. It's way too expensive. And, and you'll lose the benefits that you would get from having people within the community um, read articles because you then you get uh, you know you get a, a wide variety of personalities and you've got people who can just read things and do sort of on the fly translations to other languages and right and I mean if you had to pay like professional voice actors or whatever to do all of that mm. so you'd, you'd be like feed rabbit or whatever it is yeah <laughs> Right. It's like the prices. So just rough calculations. Um, if you were as a, as a, as a, everything's going to be public. So like ultimately the output of this of spoken is RSS feeds, different kinds of RSS feeds. And there's no, you can kind of come up with a model where you charge for them. You can, you can put them in audible and charge for them. But I, I, that's so disinteresting to me. It just sounds like a, a lot of work for very little payoff. Um, and, and I really see the overall mission as as creating uh, like an audio version of the web that's like free for everyone to listen to real life people reading text. Yeah, I don't I don't think I think there are some people that don't get your don't buy into your altruistic ideals here. Yeah, and I totally understand yeah. that. I'm completely like a, a techno utopian web optimist type of guy. It doesn't it's yeah. it's easy to not trust it. Yeah, it is. But at the same time, I'm kind of like, well, you know whatever happened to just doing something because it's a good idea and it helps everyone, you know? <laughs> right. Exactly. I feel like I, I totally understand where people are coming from who would rather pay, but I just don't think that yeah. I, I, what I'm coming to is that they're not the right audience. But I do believe that there is an audience. Yeah. You know what I mean? So uh, maybe it's that, I don't know. I, I, they, I clearly see their points. I agree that they're right, but I think that, that maybe even I'm not really the audience for this. I don't know, but uh, I, I do think it's, I, I just have this feeling like if wikipedia can work then this can work yeah i just it's my bottom line like if i had a group of like say 
six or seven people even and and we all read one article a week then okay that's one or that's five minutes i spend reading an article and i get you know an hour of listening right exactly right so i I think the sweet spot is to um have uh there's a couple of ways that i think that the it'll work one is that um that people will either self-select or the system could identify people with who are posting basically the same links all the time mm-hmm. and kind of match people up either automatically or like I said, people could self-select and just pick a group of people that they know in real life that are into the same stuff they're into and they all agree to just pull their links and, and read for each other. Yeah. So if you had like, you know, if you know, I've done some quick testing, it takes, it, like you said, it takes about five minutes to record a, uh, an audio, make a recording. And then uh, if, if all the recordings are like, you know, roughly five minutes long and you have 10 people, like you said, you've got like, you know, for five minute investment investment, you've got an hour of material to listen to later. That is exactly the stuff that you wanted to hear uh, read by people, you know, which I, I, I actually think is a benefit. Yeah. Yeah, like I listen to you read articles to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, see, vice versa. Because it's like, in, in fact, in a model like that, I, I think it's also interesting to to be, you know, give some leeway for the speaker to express opinions, maybe at the end, um, or, you know, after they're done reading the article, they'd be like, this is BS, or, you know, or this is what I think about yeah. this, or this makes me think of these other things. Kind of stuff that a robot, kind of added value that a robot's never going to give you, uh, could also increase engagement and could also create a following for a particular speaker. Yeah. So that's another thing that that I'm getting ready to discuss in the in the private beta, which is what should the guidelines be around around the um, the recording itself? How far off script should people be allowed to go? Yeah, should we make them stick to the script and then allow them to add additional like audio commentary later? Or yeah, mm-hmm. I've, that's kind of where I'm leaning right now. Is like like feel free to comment on the article if you like at the end, so that if somebody gets to the end and then you start blabbing about it and they're bored, they can just fast forward to the next thing. Yeah. So I, I think that's pretty cool, and I think it would be. I don't know. I just really. I just think that would work. I just I'm, maybe I'm crazy. <laughs> Yeah, and I, th- I think there's a I think there's a big market there for to get content publishers involved too, because then then they could in, they could insert they could sell sponsorships and and that kind of thing. You could have they could have sponsored articles and. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's the other angle. So I think that the I think the the sort of small group peer pressure, um, everybody does a little bit to get a lot in return model is the primary model. But I think there is a secondary model, like you said, where publishers want to. Uh, uh, control the brand. They want quality control to be good. They want to um, tip their hat to their sponsors and their advertisers. So someone like, let's just say TechCrunch, um, they could just basically opt in for this. And like, as soon as they publish a, a, a post, they immediately add it to Spoken and immediately add a recording to Spoken. Right. So that they basically get in first and anybody who later links to one of the recorded TechCrunch articles to just automatically get the TechCrunch version of the recording. Right, and they could link, they could link to the spoken version with the article text and Yep, or are embedded right in the page if people would rather listen to it on the yeah, in the web browser. 
so I don't know. So we're having a good time, like putting it together and, and having conversation about it. And I, uh, the API is done and hosted. Yeah, the basics of it. Yeah. Yeah. So the next step is uh, is to just create a front end that allows for submission of links and uh, creation of recordings. So that'll be uh, that'll be a fun thing to do in the near future. You can do that while I'm on vacation. <laughs> Might need a little help getting out of the gate, but I can definitely, <laughs> once I'm rolling, I can do it. So that should be fun. So if you, if any of this sounds interesting at all, and if you're still listening, it must, because that was a lot, uh, please yeah, go to... We've actually, we've actually printed out this podcast, and we're just reading it to you now. <laughs> in the future, we'll just type up these conversations. Yeah, do it in reverse. Yeah. Just start with the transcript and just read it. Yeah. Um, yeah, so if you're interested, there's still plenty of room uh, to weigh in uh, at spoken.cc. All right, cool. So before before we wrap uh, this show, let's talk a little bit about um, uh, Mark Doc, is that what you called it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, so why don't you describe what that is? Yeah, um, the idea was I was doing I was doing a little script. Or, or sorry, working on working on some things that I wanted to um, that were going to be distributed, and I wanted a way to easily package some documentation with them. And um, you know, I thought about writing documentation in Happy Docs and then just exporting a PDF. Or and I thought, well, there's parts of it that you know that don't really relate to APIs and all that stuff. And I so then I thought, well, I'll just do the documentation in Markdown, and I'll just throw the Markdown file in there. Um, but then I actually got into and I I created um, this little um, I hesitate to call it a framework because it's so small. But that's basically basically what it is. Basically, it's a viewer for viewing Markdown formatted um, documentation. It supports multiple pages and mm. and all of that. So yeah, it's really it's really as small as it is. It's looking really cool. It's super polished looking. Thank you. It's it's mobile friendly. Yep, it's mobile friendly. It's responsive. It's got it's got uh, fade animations. You got uh, accordion animations, and uh, I like that you can configure. I, I do. I know you went back and forth about like auto generating the navigation, mm-hmm. and I totally agree that um, that it, you know it's a little bit more work to manually configure the the table of contents or whatever you want to call it, but um, that flexibility almost always is necessary. Yeah, yeah, because then. Then you can tr- control exactly like you have. You may have twenty pages of documentation in your docs folder, but you may only want to like link to five of them. Right. Like others may be sub pages that you want to like do internal linking to and, and that kind of stuff. And um, uh, not auto not auto generating the table of contents also means that you can have it like it's completely client side, so you can bundle it with with downloads and and that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's very cool. I'm looking forward to. Um to a, uh, I guess a completed release, let's say. Yeah, it's up on it's up on GitHub and, and it's open and people are free to do anything with it. Uh, the, you know, there's a, a few other features I want to have um, some some better nesting for table of content items and some syntax highlighting mm-hmm. for code and, and that sort of stuff. Oh yeah, good point. Yeah, I forked it and sent you a pull request. Yeah, I merged it and corrected my typos. First, that the reason I bring it up is because that is the very first pull request I've ever created. You're kidding? No, I didn't know how to do it even. <laughs> yeah. So, so yes, I'm like a master of Git now. I've done everything. 
<laughs> All right, folks, that's our show for this week. I'm Jonathan Stark. I'm Kelly Shaver. And we hope you join us again next week for the Niche Podcast. Bye. Bye.